eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own? Look to your left, look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. It is Saturday, September 26th. And, uh, we know Mark and I need a break on the weekends. So we like to run some interviews because that way we don't have to actually work every single day of the week. So I hope you understand that and appreciate it. We've got a super fun one today, Ben and Jerry. Yep. Ben Cohen and Jerry Greenfield, the masterminds behind everyone's favorite pint that they down in either depression or elation, depending what it is, was great fun. I was able to interview them for CBS this morning and we extracted this audio and it's fantastic. So I hope you enjoy this first part of the interview. We find out their backstory Tomorrow, we're going to get into more stuff about the business, but they are a delight. Hope you have fun with this one. Ben Cohen and Jerry Greenfield, Ben and Jerry's. We met in seventh grade gym class, running around the track. We were the two slowest, fattest kids in the class. Interesting. And where was that? Where were you, um, where were you growing up at that time? We were in Long Island, uh, in Merrick, Long Island. You know, when, when you're at the back of the pack, you become very good friends. How did this relationship develop from seventh grade on? Well, we stayed friends through junior high school and high school. I went to college and tried to get into medical school and never got in. Then dropped out of several colleges, uh, tried to become a potter, but nobody would buy his pottery. And since we were both failing at everything we were trying to do, we thought we would try to get together, do something fun, and we'd always like to eat quite a bit. And uh, so we thought we'd do something with food and just picked homemade ice cream. So how did you get land in Vermont? Well, we were looking for a warm rural college town because uh, we wanted to live in a rural college town and we figured warm would be better for ice cream. And when we looked into all the warm rural college towns, they already had homemade ice cream parlors. So we rejected the uh, criteria of warm. First, we tried to open up in Saratoga Springs and somebody beat us to it. Then we came up to Burlington, Vermont, because I had been familiar with uh, Burlington because I used to work uh, out of school for disturbed teenagers across the lake in the Adirondacks. When you guys started this business, 
Did you know anything about business or did you just say, heck, what the hell? And he's pointing. I just want to put theater of the mind, my friends. Ben is pointing <laughs> to Jerry on the Zoom, which you guys can't see, but I can. So, Jerry, you have a little bit of a head for business? No, no, no. I think, uh, you know, neither Ben nor I had any business training. And not only that, we didn't have any ice cream training. We learned how to make ice cream from a $5 correspondence course <laughs> from Penn State. And uh, we opened up in an old abandoned gas station making ice cream in a used rock salt and ice ice cream freezer. Uh, so, you know, it was kind of a homemade ice cream parlor. We didn't really think of ourselves as going into business. We thought of ourselves as becoming ice cream guys and doing that for a couple of years. And then we thought we would do something else after that. When did this thing called Ben and Jerry's ice cream start to take off? Was it an immediate impact? I think it was a, an artistic success, as we would say. But, you know, I, Vermont has a very short season for ice cream. And so the ice cream shop itself was struggling. We started packaging ice cream into pint containers to sell it to mom and pop grocery stores and then eventually supermarkets. And I think once we started packaging the ice cream, it started doing well, mostly because Ben came up with all the flavors. Ben, is this how you sort of figured out your creative spirit, not through the pottery wheel, but through naming of flavors? <laughs> Uh, it was mostly the creation of the actual uh, ingredients that go into the flavor. the The naming was not was not a big thing. We were we were coming up with very straight names, and uh, what happened was that uh, some of our customers uh, made some suggestions for flavor names, and Jerry would personally read all the consumer mail, and he'd personally handwrite. Uh, responses and so he you know saw these potential flavor names come up and he gave them to me and I said wow that's great and that's how that's how Cherry Garcia was created that's how Chunky Monkey was created that's how Chubby Hubby was created and how do you think that those names like impacted it just was a, a marketing quirk that you came upon and then it just became its own thing it was almost like self-sustaining is that what happened we never felt like Ben and Jerry's was about you know, funky flavor names. Uh, we always thought it was about the ice cream. And as the company grew and as other people started putting their mark on the company, they felt like it's about funny flavor names. So, Well, it, it's a combination of the naming plus the flavors themselves. You know, Ben's being, I don't know, uh, very humble here. He came up with all these flavors with big chunks of cookies and candies that Ben and Jerry's has become so well known for. So Ben is really responsible, not only for those chunks and swirls, but, but how they're combined together. It's not some random thing. It's not just about throwing a bunch of stuff together in the ice cream. Talk a little bit about your own activism and how you brought that into your company. How did that become part of the ethos of Ben and Jerry's? I think at the very beginning, Jerry and I were trying to express our values through the business. You know, just making ice cream wasn't enough, that business has a responsibility to the community. 
you know, the reality is that business is the most powerful force in our society. If we're going to deal with, you know, a bunch of the social issues that are confronting us, business really needs to take the lead because, you know, business is, you know, the only place where really where we have organized human energy plus money, which equals power. We decided to to harness that power for, you know, the common good, for justice. I was one of those gullible little kids in elementary school. And, you know, we said that pledge every day and it, it ends with the words and justice for all. And I thought that was for real. You know, you grow up and you find... It's just a bunch of words and felt like we had to had to address it. And you were doing that at a time when corporations were basically keeping their mouths shut about everything. So how do you feel about the climate of corporations starting to speak up more now? And I, I, I mean, I'll just link it in my view. The first time I really thought that like I could, it blew my mind that companies were speaking up was around marriage equality, that there were a whole bunch of firms that were signing on to these amicus briefs saying, hey, we think that gay people have a right to marry. And there's a long time, probably two decades, where you guys were probably with maybe a handful of others alone in corporate America making those calls. So how do you feel now with where we are? Uh, I feel we've made some headway and hopefully uh, we'll continue to make more headway. You need to be uh, careful about, you know, so-called greenwashing. I mean, some companies are legitimately working to end social problems and are using their power for that. And other companies are just kind of mouthing the words. I think we as consumers, you know, we have to come back to them and say, hey, you said these words and you said you were going to do these things. Where's the objective measures of what you're doing? You're absolutely right. I mean, it's not just saying the words, but it's doing something. And it's holding the companies themselves accountable, but the company's holding themselves accountable. What are you doing? If you are a bunch of white dudes running this huge corporation, what are you doing to improve the numbers? What are you doing to make sure that you have gender and racial pay equality. And so I'm wondering for you, when you were running the company before you sold, how you viewed that within your own organization. I mean, obviously, Vermont is a pretty lily white place. So how did you manage the, the ideas that you were espousing and bringing it into the company itself? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that Ben and Jerry's was and is any better than most companies in terms of uh, bringing about uh, racial equality within the company. I think the company has high ideals and aspirations that it's working towards, but there's there's a ways to go. I think it, it comes from leadership. You need to have people running the company who really believe in it. As Ben says, you need to have objective measures and goals. And then beyond that, you need to tie people's compensation to it. In the, in the same way that people are rewarded for coming up with great flavors, they need to be rewarded or not rewarded if they're not meeting their social goals. So let's move into the Black Lives Matter movement because I understand that 
Ben and Jerry's, the statements that were released first began back in 2016. So I thought that was interesting, like at a time before many companies were willing to speak up, you know, four years prior, we have a statement that starts with that Black Lives Matter. They matter because they are children, brothers, sisters, mothers, and fathers. So Jerry, what role do you think corporate America has to play? Well, traditionally, business has pretty much thought about its own self-interest, about making money. And uh, there's some, uh, I don't know, talk from the business roundtable that business needs to think about stakeholders beyond just itself. Business is an incredibly powerful force. The other thing that Ben and I have learned over the 42 years of Ben and Jerry's is that there's a spiritual aspect to business just as there is to lives of individuals. As you give, you receive. As you help others, you're helped in return. And so even though Ben and Jerry's will come out with a statement in 2016 supporting Black Lives Matter, and there's a lot of pushback for it, and even though the company will be outspoken about marriage equality and not everybody agrees with that, Despite the criticism, despite not everybody being on board, the company continues to be more and more successful. And it just shows that the public is yearning for business to be taking a more active role in bringing about justice in our country. Okay, that was the first part of our interview. The second part with Ben and Jerry comes tomorrow. If you have a financial question, if you want to tell us your favorite Ben and Jerry flavor, send us an email. Ask Jill at JillOnMoney.com. That's Ask Jill at JillOnMoney.com. Don't forget when you're out and about, wash your hands, wear your masks, and maintain your physical distancing. Don't forget to do something nice for someone else today. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow. 